This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of the Let's Talk Arsenal series. But of course, part of what is being described as the honeymoon series. Recording these shows before I go away, uh, but here for you whilst I am indeed away from things. We come towards what I believe this actually is going to be the last of the honeymoon series because I am, thankfully, you'll be very pleased to know, maybe some of you will be pleased to know, I'll be back uh, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. for the next next one uh but it does mean that the point that i'm planning to put this out we're getting very close to the north london derby of which the topic around this show will be and to do that i'm joined by a very special guest this evening the one the only fk from latte for how you doing mate you good you well i'm really good man and congratulations you, Thanks, you man. will be at the moment probably working on your tan or just about <laughs> heading towards the airport yes. about to come back yeah. from your honeymoon but congratulations my friend Thanks, uh, man, i hear I it was a wonderful that. day and uh, was, may yes. you be blessed with years of prosperity and good health. You were forced to see photos of it by our good mutual friend, Mike, uh, our live event in the Ridley Road Social Club uh, a few weeks ago. But yeah, it's uh, it was a good day. Uh, it was it a, Yeah, it, it was everything expectation has and more. So couldn't ask for much more. I am kind of asking for expectation and more from the North London Derby as well. So it's quite a nice parallel. Never thought I'd talk about my wedding and the North London Derby in such terms, but it's worked quite nicely. Um now, of course, with this being pre-recorded, listener, as you know, there is still games to be played. One in particular, the game against Brentford and Spurs would have played Leicester. Both of those games would have happened by the point you listened to this. So the, the point of this discussion is more evergreen in a sense. And what I thought would be an interesting discussion topic to tackle is the idea of the contrast between Spurs and Arsenal in the projects that they're both undergoing. In particular, Arsenal's long terminology under Mikel Arteta and Spurs' short terminology with Antonio Conte. Today, as we record on the 15th of September, reports have emerged that Juventus are keen on Antonio Conte and the reasons for him not renewing his contract with Spurs are because he has that idea in his head that he will leave at the end of the current season to go back for Juve. 
So with that in mind, to kick off the conversation, I'm just going to ask you straight up, FK, if you think that Arsenal have made the right choice in a longer-term project or could have benefited potentially for trying to risk and go for a high-profile manager of great experience, but for a short period of time. What an opening question, Tom. That is, <laughs> that is, that is a gargantuan There's no one, reason if, if I may. On, mate. <laughs> oh. Look, I think if I'm being honest, so casting my mind back to when Arsene Wenger was around and when Unai Emery came in and also left, I think if I'm being honest, I wanted a big name manager. I wanted someone with a high profile CV, with an yeah. aura, someone that could come in, you know, a Diego Simeone, a Carlo Ancelotti, someone big to come in and take Arsenal to that next level. And of course, that sort of didn't happen. And we got Mikel. He came in. We won the cup in the first sort of eight, 10 months that he was here. The following season was a bit of a damp squib because of the exit in the uh, sort of, you know, Europa League and falling down to eighth place. But at the time, I probably wasn't aware of the size and the scale of the project that, that has now sort of unfolded you know, in front of our eyes. Mm. And uh, then, of course, last season happened. And now, of course, you know, we're, we're sat top of the league. Well, two weeks to go until the North London derby, as, as per your intro. Um, it's been, I think, what we needed, Tom. So actually, I think I was wrong to have wanted a Carlo. I think I was wrong to have wanted a Diego Simeone. I think we've seen what's happened at bigger clubs like, you know, Manchester United with all their managerial changes and big budgets every summer, mm. summer after summer. It's just shown that you can't just, you know, buy yourself out of this. And I think over the last three years, all the stuff that we've seen off the pitch, the all or nothing documentaries obviously helped. This has been a big, big cleanup process. And I think going for a longer term manager, someone who's got the best years ahead of him in terms of his career is probably the right thing that the, the club has done. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of sat here thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased. Um, I think the work is obviously not finished yet. There's a long, long way to go. But what I've seen so far, and if you sort of analyze the last three years in terms of how far we've come from where we were, um, I think it's the right decision. When you look at Arsenal and Spurs right now, because I think what might be good for perspective is kind of seeing where both teams stand. Who do you think is in a better position? Because Chelsea, uh, Spurs, I keep wanting to say Chelsea for some reason. It must be my hatred for both clubs coming through. Um, but Spurs, of course, are in the Champions League this season. Still, of course, without a trophy, um, of which Mikel Arteta did achieve very swiftly arriving at Arsenal. Arsenal aren't in the Champions League and missed out just by a couple of points to their North London rivals. The squads are quite different because Spurs, whilst having a number of younger players, their key players like Kane and Son are reaching that 30, that big 30 number that, that's creeping up quickly. Whereas you look at Jesus and Saka and Martinelli and Odegaard, and they're very much at a different end of the spectrum and yet can offer so much more in the years to come and potentially even greater opportunities. So where where are the two teams in your mind and how well-placed are they to tackle the future? That's an interesting question, Tom. And the reason why it's interesting is because if I'm honest, I would say to you, of course, I'd much rather be in the Champions League. I'd probably much rather their stadium because it's an amazing stadium. It's a, it's a phenomenal stadium. It's a new stadium. Mm. Um, I'll apart at the moment. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, already. Um, yeah, and so, you know, of course, I'd rather be in the Champions League. But if you look at the journeys the two clubs have been on, you know, it was only a few years ago that Spurs were in the Champions League final with Maurizio Pochettino. Everything was going really well. All of a sudden, 
you know, Daniel Levy's had his moment and, and gotten rid of him and then gone for Mourinho, which was just mental. Um, and you look at where Arsenal were, you know, Arsenal, of course, you know, we were battling through the stadium years, got ourselves a few FA Cups, Arsene Wenger's gone. He leaves a massive, massive hole to fill. And of course, you don't do that with the very first manager as United have found out and are still finding out. So when Unai Emery left, he kind of, you know, exacerbated the problem a little bit, alienated a few players, and it just became a little bit more toxic. So we've come from, you know, we, we started here at the bottom, basically, and sort of here we are, whereas Spurs, they were at the height of their last 30, 40 years, just three, four years ago when, when they were in that Champions League. And you could argue that they've actually just gone downwards they're no closer to any trophies they're no closer to the league title their players are aging and you know their retirement can't come soon enough um but they're still a dangerous force whereas you look at arsenal we have cleared out all of the stuff that we've just talked about we've got the youngest squad in the premier league still i would argue one of the thinner squads in the premier league but we've got a really you know upcoming manager who's learning almost week by week month by month imposing himself now on the club and, and on the premier league so if I if I were to say which club is on the right trajectory, I would say very much Arsenal. Which club excites me more? I'd say Arsenal because the players are younger. Uh, they have it all to do ahead of them. Whereas Harry Kane, Hong Min Son, as good as these players are, you're right. They're at the wrong end of their career. Um, so, look, I hope that answer's not biased, but I, I think it's fair. I think, you know, Spurs were way ahead of us just a, you know, a couple of years ago and getting to that Champions League final, it was heartbreak for us, wasn't it? And then hopefully, you know, we were all praying for Liverpool on the night and luckily they got the job done. But since then, they've very much been on the decline and I don't think any of their recruitment um, would suggest that Conte's in it for the for the longer term. Uh, you look at some of the players that they've brought in over the summer, whereas you can see Mikel Arteta is very much in it for the long term. This is They are rebuilding this club window by window, investing in good quality, hungry, you know, point-to-prove type players. They are doing wonders with the academy, young boys getting their chance all over the pitch. I love what I'm seeing, Tom. The last time Arsenal finished above Spurs was 2016. Um, this is a painfully long time ago. Um, so we sit here now, and I agree with you and everything you said there, that Arsenal would look to be the more exciting and a better position to tackle things going forwards. So why haven't we beaten them in the sense of being higher than them in the league for six years? Why has it been this long? And with us being more exciting now, if it wasn't to say happened this season... Would it be a bigger failure than it ever has been in those past six years? So on the why, um, I'm afraid it comes down to goals, Tom. They mm. have goal scorers in that team. And as bad as their defence is, as bad as their midfield is, I mean, they've been carrying players like Harry Winks, for goodness sake, for years and years. They have lethal goal scorers up front. Harry Kane, as much as you hate him, is a top, top centre forward. Hong Min Son as well, you know, really, really good wide player. They've added really well in Kulishevsky and, of course, with Charleston. So they've got mm. goal power. And that's something that Mikel's kind of lacked, even towards the back end of the Unai Emery days. I think, you know, Aubameyang, Lacazette, they had a pretty good pairing. But as soon as Aubameyang's card was marked, it, it was really difficult for us to kind of get out of that rut. You know, we've, we've led the line with Lacazette, who I think had four or five goals from open play last season. Eddie Nketiah, yeah. of course, is waiting in the wings and he's it's just a completely different player now. So Gabriel Jesus coming in is really going to elevate us because everything that we see about him already in the first six, seven, eight games, if you include friendlies, is, is phenomenal and really, really promising. 
So it's about goals. And last season, I mean, yeah, you know, we've won, I think we won 22 games, which is a phenomenal number of games that mm. we lost quite a few as well. And 13. goals, yeah, goals would have made the difference. And in the end, you know, we've lost out on Champions League by what, two points uh, at the end of last season, Yeah, right down to the rope. And, and, you know, had we have had a Jesus, had we have had maybe a, a better wide, wide, you know, a year, a year more experienced Martinelli or a, or a better Saka, we, we probably could have gone over the line, but that's why I think we've we've sort of lagged behind because Spurs for years have had a tremendous selection of firepower up front and they just score goals, Tom. So as, as painful as it is to admit, Kane and Son will get them out of games and they will win games for them. Um, with regard, what was the second part of the question? If we don't manage to usurp them this season, would that be the biggest failure thus far? it's a really difficult question because there's so many things you've got to take into consideration, mate, about where we were and how far we've come in this process that, that Edu and Arteta are talking about. Yeah. Of course, ultimately, you know, the, the ultimate barometer is results on the pitch, right? And where you finish in the league, I get that. But you can't be insensitive to the fact that we've had to clear out a lot of toxicity, a lot of dead wood in the squad. We've had to bring in players and nurture them and give them a chance to play and prove themselves at this club. And it's all working out really well. Um, failure, would it be a failure? Does, does I mean, it depend at, on kind of where we finish? If they finish, say, third and we're fourth, like... Yeah, so, you know, you know what, what? You've, you've, you've bailed me out there. You've got me out of jail. I think I think in terms of, I think in terms of, yeah, if we finish in the top four, which is obviously our objective this season to get Champions League football, if we win a trophy or two, then you, you know, it doesn't matter if you finish behind Spurs, you couldn't really classify that as a failure. That'd be a really good season for us. If we don't win any silverware and if we end up finishing fifth again or perhaps even lower, then I think fans would be entitled to point a few fingers and sort of, you know, wonder what went wrong, why it went wrong and, and really request a sort of deep post-mortem. But yeah, it, there's, a, there's a lot of factors, Tom, and it goes back to my point about where we were, where we are. There's a lot of good things about Arsenal off mm. the pitch that's happening. You know, the culture that Mikel Arteta is implementing, the fact that we're embracing our academy and bringing young players through, the fact that we're getting rid of these, um, you know, these these you know, fringe so-called dead woods, you know, toxic sort of characters and personalities around the place. And we are building a squad that even if things go really badly and Mikel Arteta is not our manager in, let's say, 18, 24 months, mm. you've got a squad there of good young hungry players, sellable assets all over the field. Um, so the squad is in a much, much better place now. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's going to be heartbreaking to finish finish behind that lot again. I hope it doesn't happen, but it's possible because they've got goals and they've got Conte. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of the next person I really wanted to discuss. So brilliant segue, uh, thankfully done. Um, when he was appointed, I will be frank, I was scared to put it politely at 8am when the show is going to go out um yeah I was scared um because his record because frankly he's better than Spurs and they'd got a bit of a coup in getting Antonio Conte um he inspires teams to go and do things that they're on paper they're not necessarily capable of you know that when he won the league with Chelsea I thought he took a team that was not a title winning side to the title that season um what he did with Inter usurping Juventus in Serie A you know that's no that's no easy feat and Juventus are still reeling from that experience actually now so when he came in 
my first thought was, yeah, oh crap. Like, you know, Arsenal have struggled to get above Spurs in recent seasons, but now they've added what is probably one of the three, four elite managers in the world to their to their group and Son and Kane are going to learn from him. But also there was an element of if there's one one guy that's going to win them a trophy as well, because I love the fact that they've not won one. It, I love the fact that they keep bringing up, that we keep bringing it up. I love that that's a thing for them. I love that it's become a meme for Spurs to bring up the facts that we keep bringing up that they haven't won a trophy. The epitome of patheticness is what that is. Um, and it's joyous. So I don't want that to end. However, and it, there is a, a underlying kind of smirk to the Conte appointment because it's one that if it doesn't work out and by not working out, it doesn't mean getting them into the Champions League. They need a coach that wins them that trophy. That's what they want. You know, they would swap five years of Champions League qualification for a trophy. I have no doubt in my mind. So if he does indeed, like rumors suggest, not renew his contract, they don't win a trophy. And whatever happens next is, you know, 99 times out of 100 going to be a managerial step down. Surely then Arsenal have got to be looking at that and going, yeah, we really did make the right decision in terms of going with a on-the-up-and-coming and long-term kind of project. Yeah. I mean, look, all's not rosy with Antonio Conte because we know that he's got previous in terms of leaving clubs high and dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, going back to your point about winning the league with Chelsea, I think Mourinho finished 10th or something the year before he came in and so picked weird, up the pieces yeah. and yeah. there wasn't much change in the squad. We forget that Mourinho was so horrific um, <laughs> that, that, that Conte obviously came in and picked up a really good squad that was very competitive the year before. Sure. Um, and of course, you know, managed to get them over line and win the league. And I'm not going to not going to, you know, um, diminish that, you know, winning the Premier League, winning in this in this competitive sort of era is is phenomenal. And so fair props to him. And of course, what you said about him going to Serie A and being successful there. When I see Conte, I share a little bit of your, let's say, the day he signed fear. I thought, OK, this is a bit of a statement from Spurs. He's a mm. bit of a good manager, top, top coach that they've managed to kind of get or, you know, they're, they're paying handsomely, what, 16, 17 million pounds a year. I think he's the highest paid coach in the Premier League. Um, but what I knew was that he was not going to be, you know, for the long term. I know that, I, that, that, that Conte is going to be there two or three years, spend loads of money bringing aged players to basically get him out of whatever he wants to do. And go. And I think with Conti as well, mate, I think he's always got his head turned. As soon as, for example, Juventus or another Italian giant or maybe even a bigger English club come knocking, I don't think he sort of bleeds Tottenham. You know, I think I think yeah. there is a chance that he will go, maybe even a national team role. Who knows? So. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I share the um, that, you know, the fear of that day when he was announced. I thought, OK, he's a really good coach. But I don't see anything special. Like I'm sat here really? thinking, yeah, yeah. I'm sat here yeah. thinking if there was a coach, any coach that had gone into Spurs, Kane and Son are so good. Like they're so good that they probably would have bailed out that team under most coaches. Has he done anything to really elevate Spurs? I look at their playing style. I mm-hmm. think it's trash. I look at their defense. I think they're lame. I look at their midfield. I don't think they do anything special. But when they get the ball on the counter, they're so, so quick in transition. Yeah. And Kane and Son are just, they're just that good, Tom. Honestly, like Arsenal fans won't want to hear it, but Harry Kane is is an elite centre forward. Like you just can't, 
you can't challenge that. And for mm-hmm. me, Hun Ming Son is is knocking on that door of being, you know, elite. Like he's a tremendous, tremendous player. Like he's the sort of player that you'd love to have in your own team, as you would Harry Kane. And they're just so good that I think they yeah. they basically cover up a lot of the cracks that any manager would have had. So yeah, I mean, I I don't funnily I don't feel the fear now. And, and in terms of winning a trophy, I think luckily for us that City and Liverpool are so clear of the rest that even if Spurs were to get further than us in a domestic trophy, I think one of the two big boys will be there to to wipe the floor with them, you know, come 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 the end of the season. So, look, these could be famous last words. You know, we could be going to the North London derby and they pummel us and they go on to win a, a, a cup yeah. this year, but I can't see it, mate. I, honestly, I think Conte's, there's no doubting what he's done. I just haven't seen enough from Spurs to suggest that wow, this guy's got this club by the scruff of the neck and he's elevating them to this level that I've never seen before. I think the football under Pochettino was better. I think that's a fair comment. And I think it's really interesting when you brought up Kane and Son in this context because I've had this discussion with other Arsenal fans, in particular kind of Arsenal fans that are doubting of, of Arteta and feel as though an elite coach would come in and, you know, take Arsenal to the next level higher because of what Conte has done by taking, you know, a Nuno side that were, I think at the time six points behind us I think when he when when he was sacked so it wasn't like a massive gap and you know uh Antonio Conte comes in and gets them to top four who by the way I feel as though if we had Partey, Tomiyasu, White, Tierney in those last 10 games three more points would pretty much be guaranteed you know yeah. and it, we were really unlucky in that sense so it's interesting when you bring that up in that context because the debates I've had around why supposedly Arteta's not the man and we should be going for that, my counter to it is always Kane and Son are more of a plus to Spurs than Conte is a plus to Spurs. Don't yeah. get me wrong, Conte is absolutely one of the reasons as to why they made top four over us, but Kane and Son are a bigger reason. And as you said, another coach could have been there that was maybe not as good as Conte, but still decent and got them into top four in all the combinations of injuries that Arsenal faced. You know, Nuno, when he was sacked, was sacked, I think, because they thought they could get Conte. It wasn't because... I he's. I think he got manager of the month, uh, you know, when he started the season. I think they won all their first three or four games and Nuno won manager of the month. And then it was a little bit of a tricky time before and they then lost to us, of course, in the North London derby at home. But I feel as though they got rid of Nuno because Daniel Levy felt that they'd had discussions with Conte, who they obviously wanted before Nuno but couldn't get him then, yeah. that then they could get him. And that's why he went. But there was an argument that maybe Kane and Son still would have dragged aside with Nuno in charge to that top four spot. So, yeah, that's I'm I'm kind of glad that you've in a way you know, justified the position that I've also held on that um, and maybe not other people have either. But, but Tom, they are an, they're an immense pairing, mm. like legit. You know, you look at the stats, you look at, um, I think there, there are some amazing, incredible statistics about them as a pair and how many goals they've assisted each other. And mm. you, you can't knock that. Like, you can't ignore it. You know, they are as good as any pairing in the Premier League. Uh, I won't say Premier League years gone by, because obviously that that borders on, um, you know, <laughs> that borders on being a bit cheeky. But genuinely, they are as good a pairing as there is in the Premier League now. And that pair will get most managers out of a rut. And and it showed last season. And you're right. You know, we had we had a lot of injuries last year. I go back to my point about being the thinnest and the youngest squad in the Premier League last season. And it really hit us. But, yeah, I just can't see that lasting. And, and I, you know, put the shoe on the other foot. Do you think Antonio Conte would have got more out of the Arsenal team that Arteta inherited? 
because I see or I think there would have been more Willian type signings, more experienced players yeah. on high wages for a temporary fix, and we'd have been in, even in in a, in a deeper rut. So, yeah, look, Conte's got a great CV, great reputation. He's got a night. He's got he has got a good aura about him. He's one of those managers when. You know, when he was available after Italy, you'd think, yeah, you know, he could do a job at Arsenal. And there were a lot of Arsenal fans that wanted him. You know, let's mm. let's not forget that. But I just, nah, I got my doubts, Tom. I just don't think he's elevating this team. And your point about Daniel Levy, when Nuno was in charge, I think Levy's, he's so frustrated that Spurs have always been in the shadow of Arsenal and they've not won anything, that when a manager of that calibre comes available, then as a chairman, he's probably made the right move. Like Nuno yeah. would never, Nuno for me is never going to be an elite manager. Antonio Conte is flirting with that as an elite coach. Um, but, you know, he's not going to be in it for the long term. So we shall see when their strikers reach an age where they're no longer capable of the Premier League and Antonio Conte has run out of ideas, then it will certainly get a bit more interesting. The point about would Conte have done more for Arsenal if he'd have taken over instead of Arteta and that squad in particular is a really interesting one because obviously we finished that we finished that 2019-20 season in eighth and we finished 10 points off Chelsea in fourth with Leicester finishing on four points off fourth in on 62. Spurs were sixth on 59 points. Wolves were also on 59 points so we were on 56. And it's funny because I think that Conte... That season, if he'd have taken on over over Emery, probably would have, yeah, probably got us higher up that table actually than than Arteta did. Maybe we would have finished fifth or sixth. Uh, I don't think we necessarily would have finished in the top four that season because the top four that season, being uh, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, and Chelsea, I just think at that time would probably weren't catchable that year after we were sitting in eleventh when Emery was sacked. So but just on that though, Tom, do yeah, you think Conte would have taken us? To, a league, to an FA Cup win. And the reason why I asked that mm. is because it was clear to me that Arteta is a coach that can assess his squad and get the best out of a team in, an, in a one-game situation, you know, in a big game. The way we played against City and mm -hmm. Chelsea in those two games in that cup run, I don't think I've seen Tottenham perform like that against a big team. Maybe one or two performances, but like the game plan that Arteta had, like that, that for me is what Arteta brings. Like when he's got all of his ingredients, he can really cook up an absolute feast. Whereas Conte, again, it just comes back to Kane, Son, their, their best and biggest players, really sort of digging them out. I mean, I don't know. that it's Maybe we would have yeah. finished higher in the league, but could he have won this the cup? I'm not sure. That's interesting because I, what it made me think to do was look up his, his records in terms of cup competitions. Um, and he he's won one domestic knockout tournament which was the FA Cup with Chelsea in 2017-18 he won three Serie A titles with Juventus but only won the Super Cup and came runner-up in the Coppa Italia in 2011-12 didn't win a Coppa Italia you know that's that it with Juve didn't win a Coppa Italia with Inter Milan he won the league in 2020-21 and got to the the, the the final of the Europa League in 1920. They lost to someone poor that in that tournament. Who was it they lost to? Um, Sevilla. Not poor. Sevilla <laughs> on a poor side. But, you know, do you know what I mean? Inter went indefinitely yeah. as favourites for that game uh, against Inter. I mean, the Coppa Italia in 2011-12, they lost to Napoli um, in, that, in that tournament. So, arguably, no. His record in, in cup competitions perhaps isn't one that would send me thinking, you know, that he would have um, won the tournament in the same way that Arteta did. Interestingly, when they uh, 
they beat Man United in the final of that 2017-18 final. And Man United side in 2017-18, I'm trying to think how good were they. My instinct tells me probably not great. Yeah. Um, but the reason why I said I think he would have got us higher at the table is because I think in a league context, you know, he does quite well. And that's probably why he's helped Spurs get to fourth over Arsenal last season. Over the course of a season, I think Conte does, you know, progresses aside. He just drags aside in a way and has help from some of the world-class players like Kane and Son. So I still think he would have got Arsenal higher up in terms of when he took over from Arteta. But the reason why I say that and still would have preferred Arteta is because as we talk about with Conte's short terminology is that he probably would have taken us to say maybe fifth, sixth that season in the Europa League, gone into the following season in 2021, 20, uh, which in which I know we finished eighth again that season. But I don't think necessarily he would have taken us to the top four. I don't necessarily think he would have addressed the squads like Mikel Arteta's trying to address the squad and gradually build us towards this. And also, you know, that eighth place in 2020-21, yes, we finished in the same position, but we finished 10 points off top four in uh, 19-20. But in 2021, despite finishing in the same position, we were only six points off top four that season. So the gap was smaller, even though the position in the table wasn't. So... He probably leaves after that season, you know, with Arsenal maybe still fifth or sixth, maybe fourth, who knows, but he probably leaves on a short-term contract with the squad very different to the way Arteta then kicked on with six signings in 2021 and then five signings this summer in 2022. I know we're being very hypothetical. I can only go off what we've seen, but based on history, I feel confident enough that that's probably a fair prediction, would you say, as to what might have happened? Yeah, completely agree. Uh, I think I think it's bold by Arteta to have come in to a club and gone for the long term because there's no guarantee that he's going to be in the job. Mm. And he's done that. He's done all the right things, mate. You know, we talked about the culture, the environment and getting rid of like the toxic personalities. And, you know, the, the, the biggest, I suppose, the acid test as to whether, you know, how much you sort of love this team and, and and want this team to win and how in tune you are with the manager's thoughts is how likable has this group of players become? Mm. You know, the match day atmosphere has been phenomenal. Everybody looks at this at this team and we all want them all to succeed. Like there's not one player in the squad that I think don't want him there, would rather have him gone, would rather have him out. Like they are such a likable bunch of players mm. and the unity is phenomenal. The um, like I said, you know, the crowd getting behind every player, every challenge, every moment of adversity. It's wonderful to see. Like he's 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 done this. Like Mikel Arteta has basically transformed the entire mentality of the fan base because we are backing this team through thin and thin. We are encouraged by what we see, and that's the ultimate barometer. You know, what are your fans thinking about you as a coach, as a process? We sing his name every game multiple mm. times, um, and that is down to the gaffer. So, yeah, you know, the short-termism is absolutely something that, that Antonio Conte is. I'd be very surprised if Conte was still there in, you know, 18 months, 24 months' time. I, just, I can't see it. Yeah. Kane and Son will be that much older. And, you know, Richarlison and Kulusevski to, to fill their boots? Not for me. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about kind of the fan base because the show that went out yesterday recording this uh, is a show with with Sophie and Kevin Campbell from the Highbury Squads. Um talking specifically about the evolution of the Arsenal fan base and how where it kind of was when Arteta took over to where it is now and the themes that we discuss is kind of it feels like I'm going to Arsenal again like there was so long where I didn't feel like I was going to the club that I grew up watching and grew up being so excited about the next match day for so long there was this period of real there was times of promise you know and we had we had a couple of strange title challenges ended by awful injuries to the likes of Eduardo, etc. you know, after the glory years. But 
it really feels like there's something to believe in. Mikel Arteta, it took until his third season and towards the end of it, really, to get his first song from the crowd. And that song is about getting to the Champions League again. And even though we didn't get there, this season, that song has remained. There's no kind of schadenfreude about it. There's no sarcasm in it. It's the it's a case of, we missed out on it last year, but we were really bloody close and respect for that. And that's why we're still fully behind you as a coach and as a team to sing that song and to go forward with. Not only that, bloody Granit Xhaka's got his own song. I mean, that in <laughs> itself is enough context. To kind of show. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent deserved. <laughs> And one of the biggest criticisms of Arteta in, in comparison to Conte, and I don't necessarily think that Conte, and maybe this is short-sighted and ignorance, so I feel free to jump in and, and, and catch me if I'm falling into a silly statement, but I don't necessarily look at that Spurs team and think, Conte's really improved this guy. Conte's really improved this guy. Kane and Sonal, as you said, always great. Always great. Kulisevsky's come in as a Conte signing, look good. He's a Conte signing. I suppose the only one I can really look to is, is Heuberg, and potentially Eric Dyer as two players. Not convinced. Are... Not convinced, Tom. Honestly, I think I think Kane and Son are so good that mm. they're making the rest of the team obviously play a little bit better, but obviously look much better than they are. Eric Dyer, he will be found out if he go if he goes to Qatar and he plays for England. <laughs> you will see he will be found out. He is a very very average footballer. Hoiberg. Nah, not for me, Tom. He's. I don't know. I'm not saying he's a good player, but I think I there's know, an element I, to I, say I, he's improved a bit under Conte. Yeah, maybe. He's I'm keeping Eve Basuma sure. out of the team right now. He well, apparently Eve Basuma doesn't understand tactics. Uh, I, mean, I don't know what, yeah, I read what that's that all about. Today. But yeah, but look, um, actually, that is a shocker because Eve Basuma was a wonderful player for Brighton. But you know, maybe he's just settling in. You know, maybe he does need to learn the drills and the tactics and the and all that sort of stuff. But. Uh, no, I, I still I'm gonna I'm gonna bang this drum. I just I don't think Conte has elevated that team. I don't think he's done anything to individual players that made me think, bloody hell, the development no. of that guy is phenomenal. Whereas I look at Arsenal and I see what Arteta's doing with particularly the young guys. I mean, we're, I mean, look, let's just chuck a few names out there, right? Eddie Nketiah. Look at his transformation physically, mentally intelligence, yeah. mm -hmm. confidence, has an aura about him now, and he is developing into a player that I never thought existed in him. Martinelli, when he burst onto the scene, no doubting his talent, but they were, you know, 100 miles an hour, not really Rough knowing edges. when to press, mm. rough, you know, headless chicken. You look at him now, the guy is playing as if he's just the perfect wide player. He knows, <laughs> when, to he knows when to trigger the press, very intelligent, getting amongst the goals, wonderful partnership with Jesus. Like these are player development. Emil Smith Rowe chucked into the deep end on Boxing Day just over a year ago. Over the year that he played, you know, he's England call up. Like this is Mikel. Mikel is doing this, and and even like uh, defensive players, midfield players, like mm -hmm. Granit Xhaka getting his own song. I mean, Granit Xhaka has been our, our our unsung hero for a number of years now, but he's getting the recognition because Arteta mm. spotted that it, actually, if we have someone behind Granit, allow Granit to go and do what he does best. Granite's going to flourish and he's doing that. So I see a lot of these players and I think, wow, Arteta's coaching impact is actually really strong. So again, that's another point on the board for, for Mikel. Mm, yeah. It's, and I think, you know, Bakaya Saka before last season, the biggest challenge he was tasked with was add goals mm. to your game, mate. 
You need to score more. And everything that he went through. You know, he's a young man. He yeah. went through with England. The, the, the trauma that that must have caused on a personal level. Mm. Arteta's backed him. You know, he's played, I think he's played 49, 50 games, 50 games in the Premier League in a row now. Has he ever played him? I mean, yeah, you've got to say that a young man like that couldn't really be expected to play 49, 50 games in a row. That Mm. said, mate, we weren't in Europe last year and the games don't come thick and fast when you're out of both cups. You know, well, I suppose the, the Carling Cup, we went a league cup, sorry, we went out the semi-final, but FA Cup, we threw it away, didn't we, against Forest? So, you know, uh, yeah, he he, does, he needs a rest, but, uh, you know, uh, did we overplay him? I, I, sure. I wouldn't have risked Pepe, you know, I just don't think Pepe was it. And I know that people sometimes think I'm a, quite harsh on Pepe, um, mm. but it's just because I think the level of Saka and what he brings to the team is so good that when you take that out and put Pepe in, the level just drops for me considerably Massive. In, in both directions. Massive. Massive. So yeah, that, that for me is it. So whilst there's a strong argument, sure, that he might have overplayed him. Have we missed out on potentially adding someone in the summer? Potentially, but I really like what we've got from Marquinhos so far. He looks an exciting player. And I, you know, I, I loved what he did against Zurich. His, his basic, the basics of his game are great. And, you know, for a player at 19, if your basics are that good, you know, that, that bodes really well for your future. You know, if you're someone who's 19-year-old, you're, you're flary, you trick skills, wonder goals, you know, you're a great compilation for YouTube. Okay, but how many of those have we seen that have just petered out into nothingness? Do you know why? Because they couldn't do the basics and they couldn't do what got them into the team in the first place well enough and they couldn't then keep up those youtube moments on a regular enough occasion. So Marquinhos has got this vibe of confidence, but... Also, he's got this vibe of being a bit grounded and and knowing what and what not to do already, which for a 19-year-old at Arsenal who's come from Brazil, you know, and doesn't speak the language, complete culture shock, is a real great kind of thing. So maybe people are underestimating what Marquinhos could bring to this team. I feel like I'm going on a massive tangent now, but I think it was relevant to the conversation about kind of where the squad's at compared to Spurs. Um I'm going to be really mean now, FK, um, mostly because I know we're recording this before both the Brentford game and Spurs' Leicester game. Don't do it. Heads. Don't do it. <laughs> Go G- on. Give, me a, give me a prediction, right? Go on. <laughs> For the North London derby. Oh, sheesh. Well, look, Thomas Party is back in training. Mm. As, be injured of, by as, now. Of, <laughs> as of today, yeah, exactly. As of today, the middle Touching of September. Touching wood rapidly. Yeah, yes. exactly. I am. I've been tapping the old desk. As of today, Thomas Party is in training and we don't have any injury concerns really throughout the squad. I think if we go in again, touching wood yeah. <laughs> rapidly. Yeah. Uh, if you know, and again, sort of, you know, without suspensions, you know, I'm touching wood again, but look, look, listen, if, if we have most of our team fit and if, if party's available, we've not picked up any stupid suspensions or whatever from the Brentford game. Um, it spurs at home. I think we take them, Tom. I think we lay it down and I think we we basically, you know, all the pent up frustration of missing out on the Champions League from last season. It is an North London derby. The young players are a year older, a year wiser. The, the, the game at White Hart Lane towards the back end of last season is surely going to be in the memory of these boys, you know, that the way that they sort of really rubbed it in and they got that big win in the end, the red card, everything, the injustice of, of just everything, um, mm. penalty, like, oh, mate, 
we are going to lay it down. I'm, I'm confident. Okay. So if I had to, if you're going to push me for a prediction, I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet because I think Kane and Son again are that good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to go classic three-one at home at the carpet on a nice sunny Saturday afternoon, early kickoff. Let's do it, man. <laughs> you? I got to put you on the spot as well. Oh no, absolutely. I've been saying three-nil. <laughs> Just because I again, I, there's something about the derby that just brings this just senseless confidence uh, when we play at home. You know, the home North London derby brings some senseless confidence, some arrogance, to be honest. What is what it is yeah. to to the prediction? So I go three 0 Yes, that I always think that they, there's a chance they could score. I've been to so many North London derbies over the years, and you know, I find myself always think the the pain when you're in the actual ground when they score is it, it's an unrivaled sense of frustration and anger it really is but there's just you know who I'm most looking forward to and again Touchwood he's fit for this game uh, I'm most looking forward to seeing is William Saliba in his first North London derby I am on my edge of my seat to see what he's like in a derby because you can just tell this guy loves this sort of thing just loves this moment you could see him in the Marseille uh, Le Classique game taken on Kylian Mbappe love want to get stuck in straight away I can't wait to see what he does in this game we're going to get well, sent got, off now, obviously. But you well, know, we got, you know. we got to hope international break, international friendlies or whatever it is does, doesn't come back to bite us. But also, Tom, I'll, I'll see you and raise you. What I'm really looking forward to is the atmosphere. You know, mm. it's been electric in all the games so far because of the hype, the excitement, the bond that we've got with the team. But I tell you what, this is proper going to be the 12th man. It's going to be cooking on Saturday. The the the, um, the place is going to be jumping if we start early. It's not start early. If we start well, <laughs> maybe score early. I tell you, it could be it could be one of those days, man, where it's just so special at the Emirates. I'm really looking forward to the atmosphere, and yeah, I'm confident, man. The game's two weeks away or tomorrow if you're watching now. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I fancy us. I really fancy us. Three one. Love it, mate. Love it. FK, thank you so much for your time um, this evening, this morning, uh, wherever happen to be in the world, listening, of course, to this. Uh, tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to in two weeks or so time. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've just started a new job, so I've got no idea. But listen, guys, if you, if you do like what you see or prefer, preferably if you, if you like what you hear, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. You can follow my personal um, at F Carnage and you can follow uh, Latte Firm and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thank you lovely stuff it's the brilliant content fk is fantastic his guests are great as well Thanks, so man. do go and check it out link to the channel will be in the description as always um if you've enjoyed this show um do drop a like on the video do subscribe to the channel thank you for listening over the course of this honeymoon series this was the last recording of it so i will be back as usual for an 8 a.m show the following day potentially even a little bit later on today if i'm feeling like i've missed things i probably have if i haven't and i'm not turning up i'm sorry it's not because i haven't missed it's just because i'm exhausted after a ridiculous 12 hour flight but uh yeah i'm looking forward to coming back to the show properly and getting involved with you guys proper in the chat box i know the chat box has been running through these shows in the mornings i just haven't been able to respond to them because it's been a pre-recorded show but yeah i'm looking forward to getting back i'm sure and uh i look forward to it we'll see you again very soon and as always up the arsenal It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! No, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.